Thank you for listening in to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. Our current sermon series is from the book of 1 Corinthians. For more information, visit our website at cumberlandcornerstone.org. Thank you, praise team. I would encourage you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians 14. And as you go there, just let me shower you, get it? With a couple of other announcements. Pastor David wanted me to remind Awana leaders, there is a sign up for you as well. Awana does begin next week. Uh, and uh, leaders, if you are planning on coming back or if you would like to help with Awana, there is a sign up sheet in the back. And uh, certainly hope that, that you will be back and helping with that. And also, I don't know whether I said it or not because I'm old and um, getting ready to go on vacation. But we, part of the group that we do need this afternoon are those who want to clean. Uh, the clean, especially the, the gym. So uh, if, you know, it's not just lifting things and carrying things. We do need some of that today as well. 1 Corinthians 14, and I want to give a little thought as we begin our message this morning. It's a very difficult subject, the gift of tongues. How can we understand everything uh, about the gift of tongues? And I want you to understand, I do not, not saying that I have it all figured out, uh, but uh, uh, this is what, uh, having studied it, this is what uh, I've come up with and really feel that this is what the passage says. However, I understand there are different thoughts on that. And I just want to be open about that. Uh, and as I've tried to tell all of us at all the time, as we go through even difficult passages, go to the Word. Study the Word and God will help us to see what is there for us. And so it's a difficult passage this morning, but let's work our way through it as we think about uh, the gift of tongues. Now begin reading in verse 13 and read down through verse 25. It says, Therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing, also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if you all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convinced by all, convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly 
among you. Paul here in chapter 14 is dealing with uh, the the church at Corinth and they're uh, dealing with the the gift of tongues. And uh, he has been encouraging the church at Corinth to concentrate on building one another up in love. We saw that in chapter 13. And to put the emphasis on those spiritual gifts which will accomplish that purpose. Concentrate on the spiritual gifts that will edify one another. Concentrate on those spiritual gifts that will build one another up and build up indeed the church. And we've already seen that he has evaluated the gifts and he's evaluated that the gift of prophecy and he has evaluated that, excuse me, against the gift of tongues. And he says, as you think about edification, as you think about the ability to build up other believers, he determined that the gift of tongues cannot do that unless they are interpreted. And because of that, he said the gift of of prophecy. And remember, when we talk about that, we're not talking about foretelling the future. I think he's talking about teaching the revealed word of God. Now that we have a completed canon of scripture, now that we have the, the New Testament, I think what he is saying is the ability to teach the word of God in a language that the people can understand, in a language that you can understand, is far more valuable and far more edifying than the gift of tongues. And yet the church at Corinth was, was reveling in the gift of tongues. And the church at Corinth was, was enjoying uh, that, that spiritual high, if you will, the gift of tongues because it made them look good. It made them feel good. It made them feel uh, superior even to one another. And so in the passage before us this morning, verses 13 through 25, Paul is zeroing in now on the gift of tongues and how it relates to the church. What is its usefulness within the assembly? And again, let me remind you, the Corinthians saw the gift of tongues as a measure of spirituality. If they were able to speak in tongues or if they misused the gift of tongues and counterfeited the gift of tongues, they saw it as a measure of their own spirituality. I'm more spiritual because I speak in tongues. I'm more spiritual because I'm closer to God because of this experience. And Paul wants to correct their thinking on that. He wants them to understand that those things are not, that tongues is not a measure of their spirituality. And, uh, and tongues is, is not, you know, a real aid even to their worship uh, as a means of spiritual expression. And so he continues here in these verses to seek to correct their misunderstanding of the gift of tongues. And you can't, I said this morning at the beginning that that there's different opinions and there are, but you can't read chapter 14 and not see that. Paul is trying to correct their misunderstanding of the gift of tongues. He's going to show them and he's going to help them understand and he wants to help us understand what the true purpose and the function of the gift of tongues was. And I think what Paul is saying to us is if we really understand its purpose, if we really understand its function, then we will not put an undue emphasis on the gift of tongues as the Corinthian church was doing. The gift really had a very limited usefulness in the church itself. 
and in the building up of the body of Christ. It was a very specialized gift with a very special purpose and a very special function. And so let's try to determine that and discover that here this morning. First of all, I, wanna, I want us to consider the problem of the gift of tongues in our worship services. Since the Corinthians saw the gift of tongues as the, as the greatest manifestation of the Spirit, uh, the Corinthians saw the gift of tongues as clear evidence that the Spirit of God was present and that the speaker was very close to God. Because of those things, they had evidently used the gift of tongues very broadly in their worship, as we're going to see here in chapter 14. And Paul says, hey, you need to put the brakes on that. There are some real limitations uh, of tongues in, in the, the corporate worship of the church. And the first limitation is this. The one, verse 13, who speaks in tongues should only do so if they pray for an understanding of what is being said. Verse 13, therefore, in light of everything that he said in verses 1 through 12, let him who speaks in a tongue... If you have that gift of tongues, and let's just pause and say, what was the gift of tongues? The ability to do what? Speak a language you had never, never learned. It's not an angelic language. There is nowhere in scripture that, that implies that. It's not, you know, spiritual gibberish that no one can understand. It is a known language. You study the book of Acts. It is always a known language. And Paul says, uh, the one who, who speaks in a tongue should pray that someone can interpret what they're saying. Because God's truth is to make, be made clear to the people. There's no, I, I've said this week after week, but there is no real value in me standing up here and speaking in another language if you can't understand what I'm saying. It, there is no edification going on. There is nothing that is building up the church. In fact, drop down to verse 28. Paul says in verse 28, but if there is no interpreter, then do what? Be silent. If you are speaking in the gift of tongues, Paul says to the Corinthians, and you rattle off a, 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 a statement in, the, in tongues, and there is no one there that understands, there is no one there that can interpret, you need to be quiet. Because it has no value in the church. It is no value if people cannot understand what is being said. And so he specifically forbids the use of tongues or the speaking in tongues in the worship service without interpretation. Go back to verse 13 now. Or we'll move on to verse 14. The second problem with tongues in, in worship is it is an exercise of the Spirit, yes, but it needs to be an intelligible expression of the Spirit. Verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit there. My spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Praying in tongues may be an exercise of my spirit. In, in fact, it must be an exercise of my spirit. But to pray only with the spirit, as we sang earlier this morning and thought about earlier this morning, leaves the mind out of it. 
And because of that, there is no intelligible expression. Have you ever been mindless about something? You know, maybe even you're rattling on about something, but your mind's not involved and you're saying silly things. Paul says here, if you're speaking in a tongue or praying in a tongue, yes, your spirit may be involved to some degree, but there's no intelligible expression. There's no understanding of what is going on. And so my spirit might be, be praying, but my understanding, what am I praying about? It's unfruitful. To pray only with the spirit leaves the mind out of it. And God doesn't want us to leave our mind out of our worship. Look at the third thing. Verse 16, uh, 15. Paul concludes, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. And I'll sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding. Paul's conclusion is this. It is far better for me to use both my spirit and my mind in my worship of God. When we gather here to worship the Lord, we need to engage our spirit, yes, but we also need to engage our mind. When our worship becomes ritual, when our worship becomes mindless, when our worship becomes so routine that we can just continue to do things without even thinking about it, we got a problem. We got a problem. And Paul says, we need to engage our minds in our worship service. When you come together to worship folks, you know, when we are singing even uh, songs, maybe we've sung them forever and you know them, it's very easy sometimes for just your mind to turn off and you can say the words, you can sing the words, but you're not even thinking about what you're singing. And the same can be true in our prayer time. The same can be true as we read the word of God. Paul says that when we come together and worship, we need to engage both our spirit. Yeah, our spirit's important, but we need to engage our minds. Praying and singing are acts of worship. They are principal acts of worship. As we are praying and praising God in our worship, it's best that we do so with our intellect, our emotion, and our will, all of those things being used in worship. So, if your mind's turned off right now, turn it back on, right? You know, if you've checked out already this morning and that rain is falling down and you're just kind of dozing off, let me just say this. I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning and I haven't been back to sleep since. So, I'm just as tired as all of you. So, let's know. You know, sometimes that happens though, isn't it? Our minds just kind of turn off. And Paul says, we can't worship the Lord with our minds turned off. Turn them back on. All right, let's look at the fourth thing. In verse 16, he says this, Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you have said? You know, while our worship is certainly directed toward God, we are here this morning not to worship one another. We are here this morning to worship the Lord. We are here to, to worship God. And our worship must be directed toward God. But if it is going to be corporate worship, if it's going to profit those around us, you know, it must be done in a manner that others can understand and enter into as well. 
you know, corporate praise requires intelligible expression so that all the people can join in, verse 16, and say what? Amen. So be it. I agree. Paul said, if we don't even understand what's going on, how can we join together in corporate worship? How can I say amen to something I have no idea what that was? Fifth, verse 17, your praise may be excellent. Indeed, you gave thanks well, but the others are not edified. Your, your praise may be excellent, but, but everyone around you has not been edified. And, and remember, what is the goal? What is the goal of my spiritual gift? Using my spiritual gift is to edify the entire church. So I've just used the spiritual gift of tongues said, and my praise might have been excellent. I might have done a really good job. You know, it might have helped me, whatever. But it didn't edify anybody else because they can't understand a thing that's gone on. And they can't enter into the worship as well. And finally, Paul uses his own use of the gift of tongues as an example. In uh, verse 18, he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And I think the point of this verse is simply this. Paul is, is now saying to the church, hey, I'm not talking about something I'm not familiar with. You know, I, I, have, I have the gift of tongues. I have spoken in the gift of tongues. In fact, I've spoken more than all of you in the gift of tongues. So don't think that I'm coming here and attacking the gift of tongues simply because I don't have it. Simply because I'm not able to speak in tongues. That's not what Paul says. He says, I've spoken in more than all of you. But what he does say is this. Uh, because of that, he's able to accurately uh, evaluate the gift. And he, and he says there in, in verse uh, 19, I would rather speak five words with understanding. I'd rather say five words that can be understood scripturally, biblically, than 10,000 words in a tongue that people could not understand. Paul says when it comes to the corporate worship of the church, I would rather speak five words that everybody could understand than to stand in front of you and give 10,000 words that none of you could understand. Because it's more important that the church is edified. It's more important that we understand this is what God is saying. This is the clear truth of what God is saying. And so those are some problems, Paul says, with the gift of tongues when it comes to corporate worship. Well, what was the purpose of tongues then? Well, why did God even give it as a gift? And we see that in verses 20 through 22. And this is where I really need you to, to follow along the, the, the verses and, and not see this as necessarily, you know, uh, this is Pastor Dave's idea or whatever. Let's try to see, and I'm going to give you some of my own ideas, so I don't want to mislead you there. But let's see what the Bible says about the true purpose of the gift of tongues. And let me begin by saying in verse 20, Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to who? Unbelievers. 
Prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Let's take those three verses and tear them apart a little bit this morning. The, the problem, I think, when it comes to the gift of tongues is a lack of understanding as to the uh, purpose and the function that God gave when he gave the gift of tongues. We've already seen it doesn't serve, the, the, uh, it doesn't serve well in the building up of the saints. It doesn't serve well, Paul says in the, the previous verses, for the corporate worship of the church. And why is that? Because that wasn't the purpose of the gift of tongues. We have taken a gift and we've tried to plug it into what we think is the plan and the purpose. And here God says, that wasn't the plan. That's not why I gave you the gift of tongues. And, and in verse 20, Paul says this, don't be children in your understanding. And, and what does he mean by that? What does he mean when he says, don't be children in your, I think he's really talking about, don't be children in your thinking. Don't, don't be thinking like a child. Think about this. Children have a value system that emphasizes different things than that of an adult, don't they? In other words, children like to emphasize the amusing, right? Something amuses them over the useful. You know, as a child, that was pretty amusing, you know, and we get caught up in, in a wheel that spins or we get caught up in this or that, something that, that glitters or, or whatever, and we miss that which was really useful. Children get caught up in that which is unusual over that which is practical. And what Paul is saying here is don't be childlike in your thinking. You're getting caught up in this gift of tongues because you think it makes you look good. You, you like how it makes you feel. You, 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 you are seeing all of these temporary things and, and you're thinking that is the purpose of the gift of tongues. You're thinking like children, Paul says, not like an adult. Now, he says in verse 20, there is a place for childlikeness in the Christian life. And, and that's a little confusing when he says that in verse 20. But I think what he's saying to us is this. The place for you to be childlike is when it comes to malice. When it comes to evil. When it comes to malice and to be evil, uh, how are we supposed to think? We're supposed to think like, like babes. In other words, don't get caught up in malice. Don't get caught up in evil. You know, be innocent in those things. Don't be... Don't be caught up in those things that are badness in quality. And the idea is there that we're not supposed to be just children. We're supposed to be babes. Those who are totally innocent when it comes to malice, when it comes to, to bad things. But in our thinking, Paul says, verse 20, you need to be mature. We are to be complete. We are to be full of understanding. And so he says, don't be childish in your thinking. Don't be childlike getting caught up in all of these things that amuse you, that you think are important. You know, if you want to be a child in any area, be a child in the, the things of evil. In other words, be innocent of, of malice, be innocent of evil. And then he quotes, and, and in uh, verse 21, he quotes uh, from Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12. Now, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 28, you're going to see that this is a very loose quotation, 
All right, it's not a word-for-word quotation, but that's, this is where Paul uh, got the, this is kind of like a paraphrase of Isaiah chapter 28. And uh, he says there, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. Who? Who's Isaiah talking to? Who would Isaiah be talking to? The nation of Israel. So he's talking to the nation of Israel, to these men, I will speak with to these people. And yet for all of that, they will not what? They won't hear, they won't listen to me. They, they won't hear me. Let me try to help us understand the purpose of tongues. In Isaiah chapter 28, and I encourage you to go back and study that. Uh, Israel is speaking, the Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah about their rejection of him. He sent them prophets and they rejected them. He, He sent them prophets who spoke very plainly to the people. This is what God says. This is how God wants you to act. This is what God wants you to do very clearly. Warning the people, if you don't do this, God is going to send you into captivity. If you don't do this, God is going to send you into, there's judgment coming unless you repent. God sent prophets who spoke very plainly about that, very clearly to them. But the nation continued to drift further and further away from God. And so God spoke clearly in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 12. And he says to them, you know, he uses the words rest and refreshing for the people there. But they wouldn't hear. They wouldn't listen. I want to provide you rest. I want to refresh. Come to me. But they mocked God's prophets. They accused them of, of, uh, in fact, let's go back to Isaiah 28 for just a second. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians Or don't keep your finger in there. Do whatever you want. Isaiah 28. Verse 11. For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here little, little, there little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men. Who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death. And with Sheol we are in agreement. With the overflowing scourge passing. When the overflowing scourge passes through us. It will not come to us. For we have made our lies our refuge. And hidden ourselves. And under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. And he goes on there in that passage. To to say that, that, that the people would not listen to the prophets. In fact they mocked the prophets. And they said that the the prophets were talking baby talk. They were repetitive, you know, repetitious. And, and And it didn't make any sense to them. So when God, through Isaiah, said they would not believe and listen when he spoke to them plainly, he says, now I'm going to speak to you in foreign lips. 
Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The people would know what, what God said is this. You didn't listen to me when I talked to you in a language you could understand. And I told you very plainly, judgment was coming. But you would not repent. Now when you start to hear in a foreign tongue that you don't understand, you'll know that judgment has come. The people would know when they heard the, those strange sounds. You know, when they would hear the Assyrians speaking in their language. They would know that what God was saying was true and judgment had come. And God did that in Isaiah's day by sending the Assyrians to conquer the nation of Israel. And when captivity came, Paul said the nation of Israel knew that God had spoken the truth. But even then, they didn't repent. Even then, they refused to believe God. And so in verse 22, Paul says, the gift of tongues is a sign that is in line with Isaiah's prophecy. Therefore, remember, therefore is therefore what's been ahead. Therefore, because of that, tongues are for a sign. Not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Paul said, God gave us the gift of tongues, much like he spoke in a foreign tongue in the Old Testament. Let's try to illustrate that for you in the life of Christ. When Jesus Christ came down to this earth, in his earthly ministry, he came to the nation of Israel speaking plainly. He came to the nation of Israel preaching God's word. Remember in Matthew chapter 11, thinking about the words rest and refresh, he offered the people to come unto me, all ye that are laden and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll refresh you. I'll provide salvation for you. Jesus came speaking very plainly to the people. I am the one you're looking for. I will do this for you. And Israel did what? They rejected him. They rejected the plain, clear truth that Christ, Christ preached and that his apostles would later preach as well. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 30, they actually said Jesus was working in the power of Satan. And they blasphemed God's chosen one and they committed what is considered to be the unpardonable sin because they, they said the work of Christ that, that he was doing in the power of the Holy Spirit was, was attributed to Satan. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45, well, let's go to Matthew. I know our time's running out, but go to Matthew chapter 12. Hey, I'm going on vacation. I can stay all day. Actually, I can't stay all day. Matthew chapter 12, we see the, the in verses 20, 22 through 30, the, the Pharisees attributing the work of God, the work of Christ, the work of the Spirit to, to Satan. 
Jesus says in verse 31, therefore I say to you, every sin and blaspheme will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven because you spoke against them. Drop down to verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. There Jesus says, here, here, you've taken my truth. You've taken the gospel message which I present to you. And you attribute it to Satan. You rejected it. You said you don't believe it. And you say that I am from Beelzebub, that I'm from Satan. Let me tell you what the end result of that's going to be. The end result of that is going to be far worse for you as a nation than it ever started out being. It's like the man who had the demon cast out and he didn't do anything about it and seven more came back. And his final state is worse than what he began with. And, and Jesus said, you have ears to hear what I say, but you won't listen. Then notice in chapter 13 of Matthew, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea and he gathered the people together. Then look at verse three. He began to speak to them in what? Parables. Go over to chapter 13, verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? We don't understand what you're talking about. And he said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And you can go on and read through verse 16. He, he tells his disciples why he uses parables. The people have ears to hear, but they won't listen. And because of that, God says, if you're not going to listen to what I'm going to say, if you're not going to listen to my truth, I'm going to hide it from you. I'm going to hide it from you. You're, you're not going to understand. And so Jesus began teaching in parables. And remember, who was the only one that could catch what he was saying? The disciples. And they really only understood because Jesus did what? He explained it to them. But the people heard parables. They heard stories. In, in Matthew chapter 11, the people resisted Jesus because why? He wasn't what they expected. He wasn't the Messiah they expected. And as a result, judgment was going to come. And Jesus warned them of the coming judgment. In Luke chapter 12, and, and he warned of the fall of Jerusalem. He warned of the dispersion of the Jews. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 14. And again, I've lost all my time. We'll see how we can get through this. What we see in 1 Corinthians 14 in verse 22, Paul says this. The gift of tongues was a sign to unbelieving Israel that what God had said and what God had been saying about judgment all along is true. When you hear these strange tongues, you will know that judgment has come. And, and notice what he says in that verse. The gift of prophecy is for those who are believing. And again, the gift of prophecy is the clear understanding of the word of God. 
The teaching of the word of God in a language that people can understand. That is for those who are believers. Prophecy is plain revelation. God is clearly unveiling his truth. Tongues, on the other hand, tongues, on the other hand, are for those who don't understand. Tongues is hiding God's truth in a language that is not understood. And it cannot be understood apart from interpretation by God, which came only to God's people. Much like when Jesus interpreted the parables to his disciples. Yes, in Acts chapter 2, all the people heard in their own language and they were saved. Yes, that was a use of the, the gift of tongues. But ultimately, Paul says, the gift of tongues is for the unbelieving nation of Israel. And tongues are a sign that having rejected God's plain speaking, he is now speaking in a way that those who refuse to believe cannot understand because judgment has come. Prophecy, on the other hand, is a sign that a person is believing. God is not concealing his truth. He's speaking clearly. He's speaking plainly. And notice in verse 21 that Paul says, even this sign of tongues will not convince the people and they would continue not to hear what God is saying. You know, if we would understand the purpose for the gift of tongues, we would see that every time in the book of Acts, every time tongues is mentioned, it's in the presence of Jews. In a sense, the gift of tongues was constantly saying that unbelieving Israel is judged and God is now going to work by his spirit in believing Gentiles as well as believing Jews. And this becomes known as the church. So tongues is considered to be a sign gift, a sign that God is judging the nation of Israel and raising up a new body, the church. Acts 18, verses 4 through 7 may give us a clue as to, to how Paul may have used the gift of tongues often and why it had been given in the city of, of Corinth. And we don't have time to get into that at all. But let me just close by saying this. With the destruction of the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD and with the dispersion of the Jews, the judgment of God did fall on the nation of Israel. And once the, the, the judgment came, once the fall of Jerusalem came, once the people, the Jews were dispersed, this sign gift, which was to unbelieving Jews, had no further purpose and function. And so it ceased. We saw a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, Paul said, where there are tongues, they will what? They will cease. And I mentioned to you that day, it was like a battery that had a, a limited amount of energy. And once that energy was used up, it would just stop. It had a built-in stopping point. And that built-in stopping point, you know, a lot of times we say it was the completion of the canon of Scripture. I'm not going to argue that. But I think we could also see it as the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the dispersion of the Jews. And the book of 1 Corinthians was written about 10 years prior to that event. So if we can understand the purpose and the function of the gift of tongues, we would see that it was really never meant for corporate worship. It was really never meant for that purpose. 
Well, we got a couple other things we're going to, we, we have from verses 23 through 25, uh, but we're not going to get there today. Uh, just hold them in your mind. We'll try to get to them uh, sometime else. But uh, the gift of tongues, something that's really hard for us to understand. Maybe you, you struggle with that. We all struggle with totally understanding that. Maybe you have friends who have different views than you do, whatever. But we need to understand what is the purpose and I hopefully I haven't confused you this morning. Hopefully I've given you some, some thought at least for you to get investigating it yourself. What is the purpose of the gift of tongues? And has it ceased? I believe it has. Because God's purpose is completed. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the clear teaching of your word. Lord, the fact that you speak to us very plainly. Lord, we can understand what you say. Your word is very clear to us. Forgive us for those times that we don't listen to your word. We don't believe your word. We don't accept your word. Lord, as we've been talking about this very difficult subject of tongues this morning, help us to search the scriptures ourselves. Help us to to look into what your word says and to understand. But Lord, most of all, help us to, to live by your word, to, to make it the, the, the foundation of our life. Not always looking for some spiritual high or some spiritual experience, but looking for your word as the ground rock of our faith. Lord, I pray that there are those here this morning who maybe they haven't understood a thing we've talked about today. But as they're here today, they know they need a Savior. They know they're lost on their way to hell. Lord, may today be their day of salvation. For those of us who are believers, help us to understand, Lord. Help us to focus in on those things that are really important. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on our church, located in Cumberland, Maryland, please go to cumberlandcornerstone.org.